0: talked last time about how in the ghost it seemed like he is is beginning to wrestle more right with this uh loss of love yeah and and kind of trying to trying to figure that out and and perhaps moving a, a bit away from the kind of immaturity uh the the vengeance immaturity of bullet to binary and you know it seems like, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about put the put music part and like, is this a kind of um, mystical experience like the whirling dervish? Uh, and then that old dull pain comes back. And when nice and blue then begins, cause you have like a really the end of the ghost and the beginning of nice and blue are like, you know, right back to back, mm-hmm. um, and the transition is um it is a bit abrupt because nice and blue has a different feel to it, but it just you know it just kind of like starts. Um yeah. and it does I it does, I think, mark a transition to sort of what seems like a different way of thinking, right? Where in the first verse it really does seem like he's saying that he's that he's sort of unpacking what happened, right? That, that there was, they just sort of couldn't connect on some level, right? You yeah. were a song that I couldn't sing, you were a story I couldn't tell, and, and that that's, you know, what happened. And then also at the end, I missed what I was supposed to learn as all I learned about was missing you. So yeah. kind of recognizing, yeah, I, I am not in a good place. I've not been in a good place with this and something needs to change here.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, and uh if we were looking at this chronologically, I almost see this as some time has passed in between the immediate anger oscillation, another binary between kind of potentially grace and and vengeance and, and anger and self-doubt and doubt of the world around him. And now we've we're a little bit further removed. So there's it's a more mature anger and vengeance at the person rather than this like visceral you know,
0: right. Taste right. poison
1: on your tongue well, sort of mentality.
0: And what's interesting, and not to jump, you know, too far ahead too quickly here, but yeah. I love I love how in the second verse he says, I'm not the boy that I once was, but I'm not the man I'll be. And I, I was thinking back to Yeah. Who we were trying to figure out who is the person speaking at the end of the ghost who says, You might be too strong to surrender, boy, but you're far too frail to fight. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and that and now the speaker is recognizing you're right, I'm not I'm not the boy anymore, mm-hmm. but I'm but I'm still in progress. I'm not the man that I that I will be eventually. Yeah. So there's there really is a kind of like internalization and acceptance of that yeah. critique in a way.
1: In a in a sense, um, and this this is kind of a meta commentary on the progression of Aaron's lyrics as as he goes forward. Yeah. So the the narrative of this album if if you can call it one singular narrative is my faith in god is stronger than my love for you and the fact that yeah. you can't love god the way i do we can't we can't be together. That's mm-hmm. at least one reading of it.
2: Yeah, sure. I think that's a fair reading. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's popularized in in you know the genius.com lyrics commentary for example so (laughs) um, sure however that comes with the assumption of maybe not complete knowledge but the knowledge that i have is set in stone and i'm only progressing in my knowledge of faith of love of being an adult and as aaron writes lyrics further on we realize he's he's realizing i know nothing and the the presupposition of knowing anything is kind of counterintuitive to the whole point of this thing I call faith.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You can know that God is there and God is looking out for you, things like that, but there's like a a knowingness. And with lines like, I'm not the boy that I once was, but I'm not the man I'll be, you see they're kind of peeking beyond, like looking ahead. That's the true maturity of,
0: right. I,
1: I really don't know what I'm doing here, but I know that how I was was not how I want to be. And I mean, you get that in the first verse too. You were a song that I couldn't sing. You were a story I couldn't tell. I've only ever loved myself, but I've loved myself so well. That self-love mm-hmm. that we have in that adolescent stage, we all, you could be the most humble teenager ever, and you still love yourself probably more than you will when you're an adult, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, you know, barring some sort of narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> um, <laughs> and how defeated I return. Return to what? That's my question. That was kind of my first question to
2: ask. That's a you good on. question. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's and that line is is sung by Mike. It's not Aaron saying, "And mm-hmm. how defeated I returned," which right, which maybe throws another layer onto it. It
1: does exactly.
2: Yeah,
0: and and also just from uh uh, you know, we were talking about Mike's vocals last time as well. I I do uh, th- this is it, it's something that when I listen to A to B life. I realize I missed this in the later records. Yeah. yeah, I really, really like how he sings that line, um, and Aaron's uh, response to it, screaming, "You're nice and blue, you're nice and blue." It's something that I, it's, it's an aesthetic quality that I really, really love about this record that I wish had been continued to yeah. a certain extent on later records, but it, but it's not. And I yeah. mean, in a way, that makes that's. Like we talked about last time That's what makes this record I think um, Special in a way is that you have These kinds of moments that then don't get Carried through uh, in the rest Of the discography
2: Back and talk about the music at the beginning here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> because yeah. there's a little bit of an intro uh, before the verse comes in. As you mentioned, uh, this flows right out of the ghost, and we have this chromatic descending line. Is it we? We talked about this last time in the ghost. There's mm-hmm. these series of chromatic descents. Th- sort of the most emphatic one is the very last bit of this guitar solo that just keeps like dragging it down, 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 till finally the pitch just disappears and the downbeat of Nice and Blue is, is just Ricky on the drums playing a solo. Right. All the yeah. notes have, have sort of gone away, the air is cleared, and there's space to open up something new. This song starts in uh, on, an, on an implied F sharp minor. But it's really just just the pitch F sharp for a while. The drums are playing, guitars and bass are both just hanging out on that note, and then it alternates with a with a D, um, and and you just get those two notes for a while, and that's that's all the musical information we have in terms of pitch. Yeah. Eventually, it fleshes out a little bit, and you get that up on top. hmm. And as soon as we get that second chord kind of fleshed out with a second guitar. You at least confirm basically a a D major triad. You get that open fifth on the F sharp and then that D major triad back and forth. This is a sound world we're going to live in for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. on, On this song, um, on into everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. And then on into a, this instrumental, that's the that's the basic musical landscape and we're going to fly around there in some different interesting ways that all matter wow. but we're just we're setting the stage that we're in like a musical moment that's going to last for some time and in this song in nice and blue whatever chords change around the one constant is this pitch uh which is an A natural the A of the of the the A to B
3: hmm.
2: is hmm is unavoidable. It doesn't matter. So if we're from F sharp minor, there's an A in it. I'll play it up here and on the D major that A is in it. Mm-hmm. Eventually later in the song, we're going to make a transition from F sharp minor to D minor. That A just keeps hanging out there. You, you can't get away from it. So So whatever else is going on, mm. the presence of A, which I'm taking to have symbolic significance, any place that it's emphasized is in full force in this track. And it is definitely not by the time we get to everything is beautiful and nothing hurt, something happens midway through mm. that song. we can talk about on that episode. Okay. So, so if, if there's this sort of battle between a and B throughout the course of this whole album, a is reasserting itself strongly in this track. Okay. And if, we, if we're thinking of like, you know, if we're thinking of this as being, the second to last song, not just of this first movement of the album, but in the, in the sort of narrative arc, if we're considering A and then gentlemen to be the beginning of the narrative sequence, and this is the end of the sequence, there's this moment right before the end of the narrative where this A material just keeps reasserting itself in some interesting ways. So not only does A play a, a part of literally every chord we hear throughout this entire song. Once we get to the first verse, um, we get that riff that's going on, right? And I'm trying to do this one-handed. but Between the bass and the guitar, that's what we hear. Well, yeah. what, what that guitar on top is doing, is just outlining an A major chord. Now we never hear that played in a straightforward fashion, right, so right? Right there on the surface of the music, you hear this like nice, happy form of, of a sort of in a self-satisfied, like pleasant state, which is not what you expect. The album starts on an A or it's an A and an E that is ambiguous. Right. It doesn't, doesn't have that, that minor sad, or that right. major happy feel, but right here in nice and blue, We get an A major chord just hanging out on top of the first verse. Wow, Um,
3: which is so interesting. Yeah,
2: Yeah.
3: because
1: that (laughs) that musical landscape that you just laid out for us, this song has this. It's a continuing and a ratcheting up of the eerie feel, but there's kind Mm -hmm. of more of a more of a depth to it. Because, Mm -hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they're using more complete chords rather than power chords here. Yep, absolutely. each, Each instrument that's playing music is making a chord rather than mike playing a power chord riff with brandon chris or whoever uh yeah. playing the third or the fifth mm-hmm. to make it whatever it is so yeah. wow that's super interesting yeah. very interesting
2: and that's that that sort of undercurrent or overcurrent or i don't know what you want to call it whether, <laughs> sure. whether we're imagining you know <laughs> the weather patterns or the ocean patterns or something. Um, <laughs> That's going to carry us through from nice and blue into everything was beautiful and nothing hurts. So just, I just want to mm. earmark that for a moment that that A major harmony matters right here, yeah, and that it comes in with the words "You, you were a song I couldn't sing." So, so like in reference to you know the last song, he he says some some sort of platitudes. She responds sort of flippantly, uh, and so it goes as the devil, I suppose, but it doesn't matter much to me. Which kind of sounds like she wasn't even paying attention because he wasn't right. talking about the devil, but she throws oh, that right. out there. Yeah, and and then the next thing, his response after this moment of silence is just yelling, "Put music to our troubles," and so now <laughs> right. he's putting music to it, and mm. he's saying, "You were a song I couldn't sing," and yet the a this a major is happening on top of this line. So here's what I want to put forward right here is that somehow, at least in some capacity, this a this a major harmony that's showing up is is linked with. The, the she of, of this story showing a pathway, sort of a, a road not taken, if you will, like that, that yeah. she's ca- calling out in this moment, like you could have come this way and, I, and this is gonna continue into the next song. That's and yet he, he can't abide it. So, so I'm, I'm associating the A major with her as what she's inviting him to and he's refusing.
0: Well, so can I, so let mm-hmm. me ask a question. Yep. Cause there's, there is a, a background vocal
2: here. Yeah. right and it comes in in verse two
0: that comes in in verse two okay so yeah. that doesn't come in yet in verse one yeah. right
2: because yeah no because but you're tracking that... because i want to get to that oh okay yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay 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 yeah. i don't want to jump ahead that that's yeah. okay
0: <laughs> right so
2: um can, do one of you want to just read the lyrics of verse one just so we have that on record straight through yeah. so
3: people are sure, know, no, referencing
2: I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it you were a song that i
1: couldn't sing you were a story that i couldn't tell I've only ever loved myself, but I love myself so well, and how defeated I return. You're nice and blue, you're nice and blue. I missed what I was supposed to learn, as all I learned about was missing you. So there's a lot to unpack. I really like the assertion that A is the her,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I I, I want to throw out any other theories because now we have a little bit of data, yeah, from the first three tracks of the album to start tracking what we think A means mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the album. So sure. I, I love I love what you're laying down there. I'm also kind of just obsessed with over applying Kierkegaard here. So like. <laughs>
3: On,
1: is A, uh, yeah. is a, a mm-hmm. in in either or, or is A something else? Like, it, help, help me unpack that one, Joel. Yeah.
0: I, I think that, I, so I think that we're going to be doing the most unpacking of that when we get to Everything is Beautiful and Nothing. 100%. Weird. Because yeah. um, I, I mean, I'll just say if people are, for, for me, you know, we, we may be set up in the beginning, like that. Uh, there's some expectation that, oh, B, the the ethical life is going to be fully realized and embraced by the end of this narrative. I yeah. don't think that's the case at all. No. <laughs> um, and, and I think that, I think that that's okay because, um, you know, I think that there's, you know, obviously there's six more records after this, exactly. right? And so if, if uh, uh, you know, if he had, if, if the, the speaker, Aaron, whoever we want to, you know, talk about here had had sort of figured it out by the end of this record, that would be, Surprising! It's not that neat, right? It's not yeah. that, um, and, and and I think that, um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll save most of this for everything is beautiful, but totally. You know, there, there's a way in which uh, the the there's some stuff going on there with using John Donne and uh, Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> sort yeah. of in the same space um, that that I think points to um, a kind of holding on to the aesthetic. In a way, um, so yeah. we'll get we'll get to that. But but yeah. um, I really like this uh, idea that that A is sort of still hanging around because I think that that's I think that's the case, and I yeah. think that the conclusion that the speaker sort of comes to and everything is beautiful is a kind of maintenance of A yeah. to a certain extent.
2: I th- I think A you know in, the, in the terms of this album and in terms of, of Kierkegaard's aesthetic life. To me, I think A remains an option. Yeah. Right up until the final section of Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt.
3: Okay. I, I think
2: it's I think it ceases to be an option in that song. And I'll explain why when we talk about that song. But right yeah. here, um, I think it asserts itself as as both the presence of this of this female character, but also as the invitation to mm. a, an actually satisfied aesthetic life. That like it's not like the ethical is the only option. Like like right. the aesthetic is a genuine option and a genuine option that could bring happiness in this moment, and and she's reminding him of that, and he's rejecting it. So at the same moment that we have this this happy A major on top, he's <laughs> shouting out, "You were a song I couldn't sing." He's he's denying it right as that music is happening on top of him. Anything else you guys want to talk about in the first verse?
1: Well, all I wanted to insert there is this yeah. is the first song without a quote. Yes. This is the first song where no one is being quoted in the notation of the lyrics. Right. So yeah. she is really his perception of her. I just wanted to throw that one out there. That the, mm-hmm. Just to kind of bolster your point, uh, yeah. Stephen, that the aesthetic life being a legitimate choice Throughout the whole narrative, yeah, hundred percent. Because she's not even really present anymore. Yeah, it's the afterthought. It's the memory of her. Um, yeah, clearly she's present in his mind.
3: Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to verse two, I suppose. Unless Joel did not well, have anything else.
2: <laughs> no, or, I think that yeah. No, I think that's great. Before we get to verse two, there's an interlude between that is worth yep. talking about uh, hmm. musically, just because it's interesting. And maybe because it could be meaningful. So 100%. this is this is the first time on any of their songs, because we're just on track, three. Three. really on track three. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we
3: that, <got> that, this. <laughs>
2: yeah, that we hit an uneven meter. We have seven, eight time. This.
3: Mm. Uh, now
2: I'm not doing it justice on my little electric piano here I don't have drums to like emphasize where the beats Mm -hmm. are but it's one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven so it's a a two two three pattern now I don't have any fantasy that the band is trying to make any sort of you know prophetic statement about the whole of their career (laughs) but, but they did release seven albums and and since we're going on all sorts of like fantasy rides of meeting that can't possibly be intended. Um, uh, here we have seven beats and we have a group of two, a group of two, and then a group of three. So I'm just going to throw this out there for sheer reckless pleasure of it. We can imagine their whole catalog of, you know, of like two albums as a group, another two as a group, and then three as a group. And we have um, this sort of, musical landscape of, um, of the kind of early days. If you, if we want to pair a to B life and catch us, the foxes together, we have like this non singing mm-hmm. sort of shouting vocal aesthetic. that is yeah. pre- predominant. You move into brother sister and it's all crazy and you have more vocal melody, uh, a, a sort of a brighter, more positive outlook in, in the lyrics and all this. And then we hit, uh, this sort of complicated trio of albums at the end of their career. Uh, which which kind of return to this dissonant sound or not so easily resolved or whatever, and and I feel like we get this little microcosm of that that trajectory mm. at a subconscious level in in this little seven eight interlude that goes between. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah that's I, good. I love that. <laughs> um, With full recognition <laughs> that yeah, I,
0: I love the idea of uh, I love that you called this a
2: fantasy ride. That yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm here for. Uh, this right. is a postmodern
1: yeah. podcast, folks. Our yeah. interpretation is all that matters.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, but yeah. see, this is the thing: people can disagree, yeah. right? And maybe by now we'll have a Discord server or something going on a Facebook yeah. page, and yeah. you should jump in, jump in, and and disagree. Oh, right? man. I mean, that's what this is all
2: about. I would, right? I would love to know how ridiculous I am. Um, <laughs> so. So, the th- that little interlude though, that third note, uh, is a C sharp, it doesn't spell out a C sharp major chord, it sort of implies it, but it doesn't actually hit it. And, and there's all sorts of places where there's like implied chords that aren't actually played. This is just part of like the, the punk rock aesthetic, right? That the power yeah, chords right. are kind of the thing, but as you mentioned, I think, Nick, a few minutes ago, like. From track one to two to three, and then on to track four, we're kind of edging from this like like straightforward sort of open-ended punk sound to more fully realized harmonies.
3: Yeah. We're
2: on the cusp of something here that will that will hit in the next song that we're not we're not quite arrived at yet, and that is this C sharp is the dominant of F sharp. It and in, in music theory terms, all that means is that it's it's a fifth above. The, the root of the, the key and it, it's the strongest leading tone back to where we started. Mm. And I'll spare you any more theory for now. But the dominant matters in functional harmony as the thing that always leads you back to where you started. And right now we have that implied but not fleshed out with more pitches that are sort of taking us all the way there. So here we have almost a functional 5-1 cadence not quite. We'll get there in the next song. That's all I'm going to say about the interlude. <clears> so verse up. 2. What's going on in these words? Do you want to read it, and then we'll talk about them?
0: A life left half behind, though no longer blind, I can't yet see. I'm not the boy that I once was, but I'm not the man I'll be. And I've been waiting now for six years on, and have only just begun. For the day you'll hold her in your arms, O risen Lord, my precious one.
3: Hmm.
1: Not. I don't want to skip to the end, because that's where it's... Where I want to start. So let's go back to the top of that verse. So, A Life Left Half Behind, that to me really affirms, Stephen, your assertion of A being a legitimate option. And mm-hmm. there's almost a grief now in the loss of all the potentiality, not just of the person in the relationship, but that yeah. other way of being. Yeah. And then, though no longer blind, I can't yet see, uh, apparently is a reference to Mark. Mm. Um, which I think is super interesting. I'd love you all with your religious yeah. background to, to sure. break into, but not being a religious person. I always took that as almost a half reference to the allegory of the cave mm-hmm. specifically when the, the person who's freed comes back and can't see again because they've been blinded by the light. And now they're, yeah. you know, the, the transition back into the dark. Right. Uh, It's the super interesting. I've seen the truth, but it was too much for me to conceive of. And now it's hard for me to impart that truth back into the, into the dark. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I think that, I mean, for me, I I see it as sort of this, yeah, this continuation, this recognition of, okay, I, I'm able to better see now what it is that happened. I'm able to better see. You know, with without being blinded by rage. <laughs> yeah, literally or something like over this. Um, you know, I, I can see where things went wrong, but I can't yet see. Like, I I don't know. In other words, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know yet. Or there's a sort of a recognition that I've. I think, especially when you read it in light of the next two lines, yeah. that I'm still in progress. Right, that I've not yet landed on the other side of of this. I don't yet know where this is going to lead me. And, you know, I'll just to, to get personal for a second here. Um, I I was uh, I was married when I was 23 and then um, divorced three years later when I was 27 and uh, or 20, yeah, 26, 27, something like that. And um, yeah, it, it this really this idea really resonates with me. I mean, when you're 20, you know, when you're 27, you're you're an adult you you know I had I had owned a house at that point in Colorado I had had, like lived a whole life right and this idea a life left half behind though no longer blind I can't yet see I mean that hits me so hard I remember back to that time I was in my very first year of seminary I had started a job as a youth pastor at a church and now I'm like divorced and (laughs) I couldn't You know, I I really couldn't see. I, I felt like I could now see what what had been going on all along, which was that, you know, my marriage was had been falling apart the whole time essentially we had been married. We had been high school sweethearts, we should not have gotten married, you know, we were trying desperately to just hold it together the whole time, and it it wasn't the right thing. Right. And and but when that happened, I I really felt like I I can't see what's beyond this. Yeah. I don't know. I know that I am going to land somewhere, but I have no idea how I'm going to get there. And this darkness feels like it is going to be forever. Yeah. It felt like there was no getting out of that at all. Um, and then of course I, I did, I did come out of that. Uh, you know, I met my now wife and we've been married for almost 10 years. And you know we have a kid. We actually have a second kid on the way. Um, oh, congratulations! congratulations. <laughs> Announcement. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it it that idea resonates with me so so strongly. What's being yeah. said here?
1: It almost makes me want to retract my statement that, gentlemen. And, and Be Still Child are my favorite tracks because this <laughs> song is the first one that makes me feel things related to, I was never mad enough at an ex to wish that they would taste me like poison on their tongue. You know what I mean? <laughs> but this song, I for, for completely different reasons, but, but similar, it just relates to you on a human level. And I, we'll get more into that. I mean, the verse first three or the chorus or whatever you want to call it uh, it Mm -hmm. really starts to hit home for me anyway. And so, yeah. Yeah. And some of it has to do with that complexity. There's, there's the added complexity of the music and of the lyrics. A a phrase people use a lot is the um, simplicity on the other side of complexity. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's going to be simplicity. You, you know, you're learning a lesson here, but you don't quite know what the lesson is or yeah. even if you do you don't know how to apply it. You mm-hmm. don't know how to move on from those complex feelings that you just have to feel. Yeah. You know, totally. it, like you might even know all the wisdom you're going to gain from the situation but if you haven't felt all of the feelings there's yeah. still some some fire to burn. There's still some yeah. fuel to burn with the fire. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: man. I mean that when when it comes to emotional trauma that there's nothing more true than that. Even like five or six years beyond my divorce and then into my my next marriage there would be times where i would see something right that would remind me of my ex-wife who you know i did not have feelings for anymore but i would be like suddenly struck with sadness (laughs) right and like emotion over what i like i didn't even really know what i mean this is why talk therapy is so, so important, right. To help you kind of figure that stuff out, but it uh,
1: folks get help. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so vital, especially if you've gone through something like this and you're exactly right. You know, I, I feel now, you know, more than 10 years beyond that experience
3: mm-hmm.
0: that I better understand, you know, what, especially through a, a long process of working on my own mental health and my own issues with anxiety and, and that kind of thing It's helped me to, to much better understand, you know, what it is that happened, uh, then, um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that you, uh, you know, especially when it happens when you're an adult, you know, you know, you, you know that there's something you're going to learn from this, but yeah, until you go through all those emotions, until you feel things and, and have those experiences where, it just sneaks up on you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and you work through that. Yeah, you you don't you don't know you truly don't know what the what it is. And sometimes maybe it's um, you know I, I think it's also okay to say that uh, you know there's not necessarily a reason right for everything bad that that happens right. I, I don't, also don't want to give that impression that no, not at um, all. You know, sometimes um, you know it's just. A matter of learning, uh, you know, developing the coping skills, right? And and you just you're able to say, yeah, this really shitty thing happened to me, um, but yeah. I'm but I'm okay now,
2: you know.
3: Yeah. So I
2: I promise I don't I don't want to make this into some sort of like highest teaching moment. I so appreciate your vulnerability to share, but I I think there's actually something because you mentioned the Gospel of Mark that is mm-hmm. relevant here in the midst mm-hmm. of all this. So I'm just going to read this little moment from the gospel of Mark, and then we can work this yeah. back into these lines in the song and your life experience and all the rest. Totally. So this is Mark 8, um, through 25. And they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a man who was blind to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Taking the man who was blind by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting in his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, you see anything and he looked up and said i see people for i see them like trees walking around then again he laid his hands on his eyes and looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly
3: hmm.
2: so this is unique in all the accounts of jesus miraculous healings and that it's an incomplete miracle that this first touch it doesn't completely restore his sight that there's this intermediate stage of just seeing blurry forms he says you know like people walking around like trees and whatever the gospel author's intent is in this moment I think as a poetic image this is a powerful one that that healing whether you consider it to be you know sort of a psychological maturing or whether you consider this actual like a divine intervention this this direct healing from the hand of God yeah it's not always immediate Mm -hmm. sometimes there is a long intermediate stage
1: Especially with something like sight, is that the only instance of of Jesus healing a blind person that we no. that we read
2: about? Okay. Nope. There's other ones where he does heal people of, of blindness, and it happens instantly. And here, just in the moment before this, in Mark eight, there's this whole thing where where you know Jesus is miraculously fed a bunch of people, and his disciples are are arguing over bread. <laughs> ironically, <laughs> after all this. And then Jesus says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. He's saying something metaphorical here. They're arguing about literal food after he just like miraculously provided all this bread for thousands of people. And Jesus aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet comprehend or understand? You still have your heart hardened. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And then he reminds them of this miracle he just did. So like... He's he's now taking this metaphorical seeing and hearing to them and saying, like, are you are you that dense that like you you can't see what's happening, even though you have eyes that can see? And then we get this miracle of somebody blind having to be restored right after that. I think that sequence is not accidental in the way that Mark arranges. Absolutely not. And and
0: actually, in in other parables, uh, like the parable of the sower, for instance, in Matthew, he says the same thing, right? When the when the disciples ask him to explain the meaning of the parable, it's a bit of a twist. He says that everything that he teaches is in parable so that the crowd may indeed hear, but not understand or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's this similar, the the echo of a similar idea of uh, seeing, but not being able to actually see, which I'm not a biblical scholar by any stretch, but but I, I think I recall that that I think pretty straightforwardly refers to like spiritual insight Mm -hmm. right you can see but you can't see you can hear but you don't understand
1: Uh, it's it's kind of like looking at an abstract painting and saying like and then reading the artist statement saying okay i get it but i don't really get it i haven't internalized the piece yet and yeah that actually kind of works metaphorically for a lot of this i'm I'm gaining such a better insight into spiritual belief just in these conversations we're we're on track three and i already feel like (laughs) i understand spirituality from a <laughs> traditional religious standpoint, yeah. so much better than I did before, because th- the exciting thing, and I- I'll share this with you as much as possible, because it's really exciting for me anyway, is I'm not supposed to get it. There, it goes right back to the whirling dervish, right back to the whole, uh, the Rumi poem at the start of the album. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get this until I die, quote unquote, until the I is gone and the we or the us or the, the everything is. Mm-hmm. And that is just whoo, so exciting to to kind of <laughs> not comp- to comprehend, but not know yeah. deeply in myself. Yeah. is really fun. Yeah.
2: And we're just getting this ride started. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So um, I'm not the boy that I once was, but I'm not the man I'll be. We've, we've kind of hit that one
2: pretty mm-hmm. yeah. well and we and i just want to say here to to always note these that we have a couple of these really beautiful binary pairs of lines yep. here back to back that yep. are all over this album but there's a, it's a really nice one here Th- then moving in from there uh, and i've been waiting now for six years on and i've only just begun for the day you'll hold her in your arms oh risen lord my precious one now where this lands where this gets in the end maybe is different than what we were just talking about but i do think it's significant that the time span of six years you know is that's a long time and Joel, you were just talking about like at least six years of sort of like trying to work through issues and having yeah. to come back up totally. again. That like, yeah, it, like these like really deep emotional wounds from from past relationships do not heal easily mm-hmm. or quickly at all. No, and who knows? You know, in in the context of this story of these songs, where the six years begins? If that's like the time that they met, because it seems like yeah. he's waiting for for you know Jesus to intervene here. Like he's very direct about this. You know the. I've been waiting for the day you'll hold her in her arms. O risen Lord, my precious one. So he's already moved into this this space now of looking to O risen Lord beyond this, this woman, but he's waiting for him to intervene somehow. And, you know, we're going to come back around to this at the end of this whole album, Mm -hmm. but right here, this is a long time to wait for something to be resolved. That just doesn't resolve. I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Another reading that, that I kind of like, it's probably wrong, but okay. We said at the at the top maybe there's been some time passed and he's still processing and there's still you know he's he's going through it and maturing yeah what if that's six years maybe not from the breakup but it's been some time and they've been broken up for a a period of time now too and now this is almost a reversal of the you will never love him another lover or god and jesus Mm -hmm. um but now it's almost a flip of that and saying like, I still can't wait for you to hold her in your arms and still hoping that she'll find Jesus, even though that won't yeah. have anything to do with Aaron or the narrator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still, now I wish for your grace to grace her. Yeah. Instead of I wish for you to be forever damned,
2: which was where yeah. we were going. <laughs> yeah. We've time. made some progress in a couple of tracks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is, yeah, it's interesting. And that also, I mean, it it fits very well with this idea of the missionary relationship still, you know, Um, the kind and, and, you know, which I think also goes along with kind of the age that everyone is when this album is made. Yeah, Um, this idea that like, oh, the you know, the right thing to do is to just hope for your salvation. And, you know, which, um, which I I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially non-religious people would say, like, just let the woman go and live her life. Like, yep. don't, don't, don't wish for some, you know, for her to be like, just let her do her thing. Right. Let her be, be herself. Right. Cause there's yeah. still a kind of like possessiveness almost in this idea of, totally is. like, you know, I, I, I'm letting you go, but like, not really, because I still kind of hope that there's this possibility that I will end up being right in the end. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, <laughs> yeah. that I think you could kind of, and maybe that's an uncharitable reading, but um, I feel like that that is how probably a lot of non-religious people would would
3: sure.
2: experience this. Let me just Definitely. say, char- charitable or uncharitable, the mere presence of the after effect of this relationship doesn't end with the end of A to B life. This follows straight through the entirety of catch for Us, the foxes. So if we're right. going back to sure. our, and we have a couple of these right at the beginning that are, that are like linked together in some fashion, this moment in this album is going to have a through line. And, and really this whole song, I feel like nice and blue has some interesting through line well through catch for Us, the foxes for sure. And then we get a nice and blue part too. Yep. Uh, Once we get into Oof. brother, sister. So so yeah. this is not going to leave us alone for at least the next three records. So I don't <laughs> want to spend too much time here with with the sort of like longing for her salvation, if you want to say it that way, mm-hmm. this moment, because we're going to come back to this theme. We're not done with this, this figure yet. Say something about the music uh during verse two you alluded our uh, uh to this earlier joel yeah, There's this yeah. high voice that comes in
3: mm-hmm.
2: i totally read that high voice as this feminine presence in the track yeah, even though yeah. i don't know who it's singing i actually can't tell because we hear mike sing other places in this album we hear dan sing other places in this album and neither one sounds like this voice
0: and it sounds like there's like almost a reverse effect on it or something yeah. there's like a a kind of some kind of like sweeping, like some, some sort of effect on, on the vocal when it comes in. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure what, what that is, but, but I was also thinking that it was the feminine voice, but then the it, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, it sounds like a minor melody or, or you know, yeah, call it a melody. And, and, and It's just two and, notes. Right. And we were saying that the, um yeah. So maybe there's just not enough. Information there, but we were. Oh, saying, there's always enough
2: information. <laughs> I
0: was gonna say it's it sounds melancholy to me, right? Whereas, it does. Yeah. In, in the first verse, you were talking about how I mean, this is why I kind of jumped to this because you were saying yeah. how the there's this um, major A playing over mm-hmm. the first, and and you were saying that that is identified with the feminine, and you know, in my head, I was thinking, oh, but there's that kind of feminine sounding voice that sounds more minor to me yep um so that's an interesting yeah so go ahead
2: (laughs) it sounds it sounds minor uh in the context of what's going on so we've got this uh, I'll i'll play it up pretty high just so we can hear it distinct so these are basically the chords we got going underneath Mm -hmm. and we have an f sharp in this higher voice and then we go down to an e natural now that E natural is not part of this chord. We keep having this um this D major thing as the as the other chord. It's a non-chord tone, which you can just take as kind of a soft dissonance. Like it's a little bit dissonant, but it's not as jarring as, you know, something like right. that, which we're right, gonna get right. to in gentleman. Um <laughs> it's it's this Kind of a nice jazz chord if you want to take it that way mm-hmm, sure. uh, and we've had sort of like implied softer dissonances even at the beginning of, of bullet to binary we get we get something like that we get um these are three notes that kind of start bullet to binary right whatever the case I have two readings of of the pitches f sharp and e as this sort of ooh vocal this feminine presence one is that in the chords of of A and B. We're back to this again. Whether they're a major or minor. Let's take, here's an A major. You have an E on top. Here's a B major. You have this F sharp on top. So we're moving from, and it, if it's minor, it's the same thing. Still the E on top. You still okay. have, so so the A chord has this E as as this sort of voice that rounds it out. The B chord has this F sharp. Doesn't matter if they're major, or minor, happy or sad. Oh man! So, so right now, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> so right now we have we have the implication in this sort of like power chord formula where you always have a fifth above the chord. We have this motion implied of of B down to A. It's pulling yeah. the sound in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in so this feminine voice is pulling the sound from the thing that would make it a B chord to the thing that would make it an A chord. So it's still even though we have that is happening earlier in this like higher voice guitar part. Now we have in this literal voice that's in a higher register, this movement of implied B back down to sounding in A. Now there's one more thing going on here um, is that in, in sort of functional harmony, which I, which I said like in, in that, that, that really wants to go up a fifth and resolve back to, to this sound. Mm-hmm. In functional harmony we have um within the key that we're in what that what that f sharp and e imply is a b minor mm-hmm. down to an a major or if we just take it as root notes an f sharp down to an e and then resolving mm-hmm. up to, to an a major chord so whether you take it as like in those two notes themselves it's a pull down to a or whether it's the setup to resolve to a right wow mm-hmm.
3: yeah
2: and then we land on an a major right there so those chords are pulling huh. us back towards that a major sound yeah that then the band refuses to land on
0: right and it's so interesting how i mean it, it's it's all it's like an auditory illusion
3: yeah in a way yeah. like
0: it's it's um like i'm the way that you're explaining it, I'm like, Oh my God, like I can, I can hear it, but it, yeah. I have not heard it that way before when I've been, like, I hear exactly what you're talking about, but yeah. it's like, uh, suddenly like, I
2: want to go listen to the song right,
3: right now. Yep. So, yeah, And I hope everyone listening feels
0: the same way. It's like, that's, wow. I mean, that's it's my experience.
2: Crazy. Just trying to dig this stuff out is like every, every layer I find is like, Oh my goodness. Then when you listen to it, there's this whole other drama happening beneath the lyrics Right. Um, that, that is, I don't know. It just, it makes it a much richer listening experience. And that's really all I hope for, for this show is that like people will stop listening to us talk and go listen to these records again. Exactly.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yep. Well, should we, should we go on to the, should, uh, the, the end of the song
1: here? Y-
2: yes, absolutely. It. Okay, here we go. So this is the the lyrics for the last section. Um, if we've had a verse one and a verse two, you could call it a verse three, but it's not functioning in a verse. It's sort of like a bridge or a refrain in either case. Yep. It's not bridging to anything because the song is over when this like is a, done. like a coda or something. Yeah, but, yeah, so you can call it a coda to uh, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Uh, here's the words. I was once the wine, I was once the wine, I was once the wine, and you the wine glass. I was once alive I was once alive I was once alive when you held me when you held me God became the glass and all things left were emptiness oh my little girl oh my little girl if you look out and see a trace of dark red that used to be my face and the clarity of his grace remember me
1: full body chills every time
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think that like overall, there's an interesting transition, right, from being the wine to being once alive, and yeah. then this, uh, and then, and also this transition between who is the wine glass, right? Yeah, uh, the the feminine presence, right, is the wine glass, and then God became the glass. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's I, I'm curious. Well, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, the wine, the wine in the wine glass is, I think, you know, obviously a, related to a biblical metaphor, although it's, it's different because the metaphor of the wine in wine skin, right. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is this idea, right. That you, when you are saved, you know, you're putting the wine into a new wine skin, right. The idea is that you can't, continue to transfer the wine to, you know, old wineskins. you're, you like, you're not getting rid of the, you're, you're in, you're then infusing the wine with like other flavors, right? You're not starting Mm -hmm. from Like it's the idea of being born again, essentially, right? It's just a metaphor for that. Um, But a wine glass doesn't work that way, right? A wine glass doesn't (laughs) retain, right? So it's not quite the same metaphor here that's being-
2: used well and when jesus talks about the the old and new wine skins he also talks about the fermentation process that if you put new wine in old wineskins they're not going to be able to withstand the fermentation there's gases in there they're going to expand it's going to burst this old form to have this new spiritual substance in it whereas a wine glass again a it's you know it's made of glass and b there's an open top so the you know it can aerate right yeah (laughs) so so this is a this is again you know if you want to call it we have a we have a binary image we have side by side this this uh, feminine figure as the wine glass with this this masculine figure being the wine in it then you swap it out god becomes the glass now and he doesn't repeat the line about him being in the new glass that is god it's sort of implied here that now he's poured into into God as the wine glass, but he doesn't say it. And that's an interesting absence.
0: And I was going to say, and then, but he follows God became the glass with, and all things left were emptiness. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there, I I, again, I don't want to jump too far ahead. if, If if you guys have something to say about the, you know, I was once alive when you held me. I mean, I think that that's a recognition of, of how he felt when they were together. Yeah. Right. Um, and now God is the glass and all things left were emptiness. And I I just, this idea of emptiness is something that I've been thinking about um, a, a bit, you know, this week as we were, uh, as I was thinking about this episode. Yeah. Um, the, and and I mean, part of this, my reflection on this comes from the fact that every semester I teach uh, uh, an introduction to Buddhism as part of my um uh, World Eastern Religions course that I I usually teach, um, and I don't I don't know if I, I mean I doubt that this reference to emptiness is a re- reference to the Buddhist idea of emptiness, mm-hmm. but it is interesting to think about right because so that there's a basic idea in Buddhism right that that we don't have a soul right that the that which is not to say that we are simply our physical bodies. Um, but it's to deny the fact that there's anything permanent about us right yeah. um and it, it's a critique of the Hindu idea of the Atman right which is a sort of you know breath of life that returns to the energy of the universe when mm-hmm. we achieve liberation. Um, and in Buddhism because our suffering comes from our inability to see that, that there is change, right? It's our inability to understand the causes of our suffering and those causes are impermanence and our craving for things to remain the same when they never yeah. will, right? And so the, the idea of the anatman, atman right, the no soul in Buddhism is to sort of extend the idea of impermanence to its furthest logical conclusion that not even we have a permanent Self. And so the, the idea of emptiness, which comes from the Heart Sutra, which is a, a Mahayana Buddhist um scripture, essentially, yeah. um, is that is not that there's like literally nothing in us. It's not that everything, because the idea is that everything in the universe, the essential nature of everything in the universe is emptiness. And and to a Western ear, that sounds really negative. It sounds like almost nihilistic. Right, but it's it's not actually it's quite just, the opposite. Right. It's just saying that that we we are empty of something, and that thing is essential nature, right? So when the Heart Sutra says that the universe is uh is essentially empty, right? That everything is uh is emptiness, what it's saying is that there is no essential nature, that all things are change, and not only are all things changed, but everything is in everything else that there's nothing in the universe that is not connected to and imbued with, uh, every other object in, in the world. Um, there's a, uh, a Vietnamese Mahayana, uh, monk named Thich Nhat Hanh, who's very, very popular in, in the West. Oh, he's he's great. Yeah. Been on, been on Oprah and all that stuff, but his, um, his explanation of the Heart Sutra, which is called the Heart of Understanding, which I highly recommend reading. It's a, a beautifully it. written yeah. explanation of this idea. But he calls this uh this idea inter-R or inter being, right? That everything is in a state of inter being, right? So that like the, the page, he has this beautiful poetic description that the, you know, the page uh that the book is printed on, right, is connected to the clouds in the sky. Right, yep. because of rain and producing trees and he get, you know, um, but but I, I wonder, I mean, there is a sense, again, I, I'm not sure, I, I doubt very seriously that um, Aaron was intentionally referencing the Buddhist idea of emptiness here. Um, well, in- I,
1: I would jump in and say, if he had written this song in the last five years, I would say it's quite right. the opposite. It's almost definitely referencing yes, yes. the Buddhist sense of emptiness. So Right, 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 right. And all, all I would jump in and say here is coming from a more secular, non-religious, but influenced by Buddhism background in my in my childhood and young adulthood, I've always found that the subject that you're talking about right now, I see a lot of alignment with Christian and Jewish and and islam i just don't know islam as well um, um senses of of god or the divine being a thread through all things from from the earth to the to the i know it's different right.
2: because right. it fills yeah.
1: us with something but and I go ahead
2: and i think in i think in in any spiritual tradition it, the folks that that end up getting labeled as mystics which joel you know a billion times more about than i do um yeah. The, those folks are the ones who who have this sort of insight that the divine is sort of threaded through everything. Now, in, in the Buddhist imagination, maybe it's not the divine, maybe you would call it something else, but there is some sort of, of universal unifying something that is sort of interpenetrated and present everywhere. I, my, my hunch is that where we see those tendencies in Aaron's lyrics, it's coming mostly through the line of Sufism through... Yeah. Baba yes. Muhyiddin, his, his parents' uh, right. sort of spiritual leader. Right. I don't know that that's necessarily like a mainstream Muslim ideal. I think like, the presence of Allah as this sort of like separate figure is, is important to, to some degree, but Sufism definitely makes the lines a little blurrier to the tiny, tiny bit that I've encountered. Right, it.
0: well, I think that, yeah, I think that there is another way that you can read the concept of emptiness, which is in this mystical sense of emptying yourself of a self right in order to yeah. experience the divine right that in order to have this experience of the divine to be a vessel right that's yeah. one of the sort of mystical metaphors right is yeah. to mm-hmm. be filled with the divine so you you have to then be empty although yeah. that what's interesting about that is that the glass is a vessel
1: yeah. exactly. exactly
0: and and god became the glass right? god so, became the so
1: exactly so it you know, doesn't quite Yeah, there's there's like a little bit there's something that's like a little bit off about that
0: reading too. So so
1: I'm going to skip to the end of this section, which I don't like doing, but I I will just to comment on that point, which is the inherently selfish nature of this, and we see the flipping of the selfish nature of it in Nice and Blue Part Two, in the Clarity of His Grace. Remember me. It's still focusing on the self. I want to be remembered by you, whether that's her or God or or whatever. And so it makes sense that he's putting God in the place of the glass and her as the place of the guest. because I want them to contain. I don't know if it's me, the the narrator's mm. character, but perhaps, per- perhaps oh, it's I want to be yeah. contained by you.
2: I I think he says I I was once the wine. I think he yep. I think he intends it to be himself. That's what's being contained. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you know. Uh, all, like all of all of this discussion, various religious traditions is legitimate here. But if we want to go back to the source material of Kierkegaard, we, uh, that we are talking yeah. about a sort of a yeah. unifying theme, I don't think you have to go much further than him. You know, and if you take Kierkegaard as the beginning point for a sort of an existential view, you know, stretch it out 100 years and you get, you know, existence precedes essence, right? Eventually, mm-hmm. we get to this idea that there is no such thing as a human nature. If you follow right. that existential line, right? If you start it here, though, even, you know, this is a sort of a classic Kierkegaardian paradox that this idea of self is definitely an important idea, most crystallized at the beginning of, of, you know, brother, sister, but but it goes throughout their entire catalog that that you can't escape it. And there's something about something in Kierkegaard somewhere that I'm I'm, I don't have a book in front of me right now, but um, in order to, like, come into yourself you have to get rid of yourself first. And I can't explain it better than that without a reference in no, front that's, of me. I mean, that's I,
1: the that's kind of the psychedelic user in me. Um, yeah. uh, that, that's that ego yeah. death to then understand yourself. Yeah. The and
0: I think that, you know, there is, uh, all of that I think resonates with kind of the metaphors that are going here. Like I, the way that I see the the next, uh, the the sort of five or I, however you divide it up, but the lines between, all things left were emptiness. And in the clarity of his grace, remember me, right? Oh, my little girl. Oh, my little girl. If you look out and see a trace of dark red that used to be my face, um, you know, that's, I see that as the, the wine residue, right? Exactly. It's left on the the glass. That's yeah. Yeah. It was, it's empty now. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so you, so somehow she is Back to being the wine glass or, you know, Nick as I think you were implying earlier, right? There's somehow it's both God and, and her as the glass or something like that. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, so I think so this this and this is sort of a moment of hearkening back to the really ugly end of bullet to binary that yes. like she can't get rid of him either and, and there's this thing of looking out if you look out you know, think of looking out you picture a window right and that typically like, yeah. you're looking out from somewhere and so you're looking through the glass and she sees a trace of dark red so she's looking almost through her own self like her own yep. window into the world
3: yeah yep.
2: you know And here we get back to jesus saying like the eyes are the window of the soul like we have this We have this idea of looking out, but, but it's stained, it's tainted somehow by the the residue of his presence. If you go back to this line, I was once alive," back in earlier in this, this same passage, we have this echo again of a life left half behind that. Like when he's looking back and saying I was once alive, like it's, I think it's, I think it's a positive sense. I think there's again, back Mm -hmm. to this, like there, there was a, there was a, a legitimate trajectory towards a, a happy aesthetic life that has been like he has chosen not to take that path. And so he's looking back saying I was once alive when you held me. And he, mm. so he's regretting it. He sees her as like still regretting it in the future. So he's not made it out of this like lingering vision of her like hurting, but it's also legitimate. You know, we talked about how long relational pain lasts, even if you don't want to take this as him, like saying, I'm going to be like poison on your tongue when you say you love him. It's just, it's, it's not like a, a jab. It's just a simple acknowledgement that when she yep. looks out in the future, there's still going to be something of him there
1: yeah well in his narrative structure i i right. do want to throw that out there yeah that, that there's the slight again this is all through his perception of yep. her and this song even more so because she's not being quoted so we don't even know yeah it's that's a really interesting component to this is assuming that she actually says the lines in the ghost you know that may very well be Uh, She replies, and so it goes. It's the devil, I suppose, and it doesn't matter much to me. If she actually said that, then she is actually being presented in the song. Here, Mm -hmm. she's not at all, but we still get this perception of her looking through the window or well, looking into the glass. Yeah, wow. And there's
2: also there's also this odd, sort of uncomfortable line of oh my little girl, oh my little yeah. girl.
3: Yeah and
2: you know, we're gonna come back around like later in the album we're gonna get this song Be Still Child. So there's this sort yeah. of, you know, infantilizing tendency. It's but kind of a, but it's it's, a, it's been done to him too, right? You get this yes, presumably yes. his father. You're too strong to yeah. surrender, boy. Like Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I was gonna say there is something a bit um like paternalizing about yeah the, Oh, my little girl. Um, and I also, you know, you mentioned the kind of the connections to Bullet to Binary, right? The, the, I was once alive also draws us back to the very beginning of the record, let us die, let us die, which, um, you know, when we get to, uh, you know, the next episode, when we're talking about everything is beautiful, right? There's, uh, there's this imagery in Dunn's poem that, that Aaron is using right of melting together. Right, in, in sort of this idea of becoming one. And there's uh uh you know metaphors being used to describe the lovers in a Valediction, forbidding mourning, um mm. that uh that that bring them together in the same sense, I think, that is that Rumi is talking about, right, in in his uh uh mystical poetry, in that poem yeah. in, in particular, right? We talked about this on on the bullets binary episode, right? Of the yeah. the two, the, the idea of friendship, right? Being uh, where where ev- you're you're so close to the person, right? That you're not uh, you're not scheduling time. You're you're basically like the same the same person, right? Right. Yeah. Which which is also in itself a metaphor for the mystical experience, right? That you um, are are that sort of connected to the divine. That it's just always with you. But what's interesting is that. In this in this case, right? The the metaphor that he's being that he's using with the wine and the wine glass. I mean, those are those are two entities that can't uh, uh, meld together in the way that a snowflake can, right? There's there's something again. Yeah. There's there's like a little bit of um, of of a an interesting sort of twist or separation or or block in some way of. Uh, drawing sort of a neat, perfect connection between what's happening yeah. here and, um, you know, if, if he had used some other metaphor beside wine and wine glass, yeah. um, you know, that where you're talking about two materials that actually fuse together to become one, then right. uh, the connection to the beginning of Bullet to Binary and, and the sentiment that's being expressed there would be so easy to make. And, and yet there's something that's like resisting that sure. a little bit here at the end.
1: However, to go back to kind of the discussion of purpose and, and, and meaning a wine glass is only a wine glass in the presence of wine. Otherwise, that's true. And and I don't mean presence physically. I mean, presence, like the existence of wine makes the necessity for Mm -hmm. the wine glass. Yeah. Not true in the opposite though. Wine can be drunk from a skin. It can be drunk from a bowl, those things. (laughs) So it's not a, it's not a perfect analog there, but there's something interesting to that, that that what you were just saying Joel really sparked that in my mind too
2: well and and we can come back to this image i think when we get to gentleman cuz the opening lines of that i think reference a similar kind of an image yeah. to what we have going on right now and we'll yeah. we'll get there when we get there say something about the musical shift that happens during this last section. Um, Because up till now, that's been our main two harmonies back and forth, F-sharp minor to D major. What we get right at the beginning of this final section is this transition to F-sharp minor, what we've had, and now to D minor chord. And it's this really interesting, yeah dark movement that like it's one it's a half step difference in the middle in the inner voice of this thing and it's but it makes all the difference in the world to the feeling of the ending of this song
0: oh yeah totally
2: and so so we get this you know what is it you know, that motion mm-hmm. like that's that's just this new musical thing that we haven't heard right. yet right yep in, in technical terms, this is, this is a chromatic median. This is a, a, a relationship of two chords that are a third apart from each other but cannot exist in the same key. Um, mm. Those two sets of, of pitches are from different worlds, and yet they're, they're juxtaposed side by side. Um, this sort of thing is, is sort of bread and butter of uh, a certain strain of, of romantic music from the, the 19th century. Uh, Franz Schubert loved this sort of thing. And, hmm. and he does it in, in a bunch of different ways. I mean, he wrote over 600 songs, and, and they're all amazing. Um, I've, got <laughs> a, I've got a clip of a Schubert song that I would love to play. This whole music video, if you want to call it that, is pretty intense. But I'll, let's, just, let's just listen to this, and I'll point out the moment, and we'll come back. Great. Okay so that's a verse uh, out of this out of this German lead um and and forgive me everyone listening who speaks german but here der flammen dusterschein ach nur wachen spilt hier führt die brust sich ganz allein der fremut okay that sounds more like somebody botching middle english but here we go this is um <laughs> you, d- you did better than most would so i'll give <laughs> so, you that <laughs> so that's that's the german text what what he's saying and I, you know, I, this is like not even 100%, 1,000% I am positive that Aaron Weiss and Me Without You care nothing about this Franz Schubert lead and the <laughs> composition of this song. But, but it's doing something that has a kind of a musical effect uh, in songwriting that I think is interesting. So um, in the context, so this, this is a song uh, called Krieger's Anung. It's called Warrior's Foreboding. It's, it's, a, it's a poem. Uh, by Ludwig Rellstab. that's about um, somebody who's missing a lover back home. He's sent off to war. He's in a battlefield uh, with a bunch of wounded uh, men laying on the ground, and there's fire burning all around them. And he's remembering the fire of the hearth of his home and this woman who he loves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's two verses back to back here. How often I have sweetly dreamt of her warm bosom. How friendly shone the glowing hearth when she lay in my arm. That's not the part we listen to, that's what precedes it. This verse we get, here where the gloomy glows of flames, ah, only on weapons play. Here the breast feels all alone and melancholy tears well up. So this is the moment that we have. So that's, that's the lyrics that are trying to be depicted in this sound. So he, he's remembering the warmth of the embrace to this woman, right? I was once alive and you held me. Um, and now he's, in, he's, he's alone. Sort of on this righteous mission of whatever battle you're supposed to imagine he's in right um and and those fires that were there before are now only playing on on the swords of his compatriots so the line where you get this chromatic median transition that schubert loves so much um is Hier die Brust, sie uh, here the breast feels all alone it's this moment of loneliness and it's the first line of the section that he repeats he says the line twice, and it's that second emphatic repeat of that line that he moves down this chromatic median to get the idea across. So I think I'm just going to let Schubert speak for himself. Here's the line.
3: Okay,
2: did you hear it? Mm-hmm that's that that minor third drop that does something just like evocative and it's hard to put words to it but it is
3: yeah
2: for schubert it's this it's this moment of loneliness of remembering the moment that was there before and now he's all alone and and melancholy tears well up so so again the guys are not thinking about this song but to me like it's it it the music can do something there in a similar fashion. So here, there's one example of a song that uses that chromatic mediant drop. Um, another one that's much closer to sort of our own time period, um, and and maybe in some weird way closer to me without you, um, is The Doors. Uh, so in the song "Light My Fire," the the verses are built on this motion, um, and I'm trying to think. Yeah, what key "Light My Fire" is in. <laughs> i think it's even the same two chords that schubert uses that a minor and that f sharp minor so you know you get china we can only lose and our love become a funeral pyre and then come on baby light my fire and it goes it leaves that that link right there it goes on to something else so we have this yeah. you know this is me doing my fantastical you know cosmic journey through a bunch of different music right now this has nothing to do with me without you really but we have this like absent lover we have this image of fire and we have this same harmonic motion that's driving yeah. the 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 feeling of that kind of a moment so I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this. Like ratchet this up to even more ridiculous levels here for just a moment on what I think <laughs> is going on at the end of this song. So, so with the Doors, it's, this is a weird line, and maybe they're just like searching for things to to rhyme with fire because they're 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 working on the song called Light My Fire, and like, well, what rhymes with fire? Well, it's a short list, and so they have this line <laughs> about a, a funeral pyre. Because what like, what else can you say? Yeah. Uh, so China, no, we can only lose, and and our love become a funeral pyre. That's a weird. It's a weird line. Mm -hmm. You know, the the chorus of the song is Come on, baby, light my fire, which sounds just sort of like straightforwardly sexual. But the fire (laughs) being referenced, our love become a funeral pyre is a very different kind of an image, right? This is Mm -hmm. love consummated in like the burning of a body. So we have love and death (laughs) right on top of each other. The only place in the sort of wide sweep of you know the literary imagination that I can think of where love becomes a funeral pyre is in the story of Dido and Aeneas which I think mm. I've referenced once before on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have uh, in, in, in the Aeneid, right? Uh, Virgil's uh, character Aeneas shows up, falls in love with this woman. Um, she is crazy about him. He's crazy about her, but then he has this righteous mission to go on, which is to go found Rome. And so he leaves. He's gonna go do his his manly mission and start you know, this great city. And yeah. she gets left behind without him. And what is her response to that? Well, her response to that is to climb up onto a pile of wood and set herself on fire. And here we have love becoming a funeral pyre uh, as this evocative image of a relationship gone wrong. Again, Me Without You is not trying to reference The Doors or the Aeneid right now, but I think it's interesting to hang out here for a minute, because the ending of the last section of this song, finally around, in, and see a trace of dark red that used to be in my face, and the clarity of his grace Remember me. Yep. And that's what Dido sings in this operatic form. I remember I played this clip just about these like lamenting, weeping figures the guitar plays. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that's her final statement is remember me as she's like about to climb up and set herself on fire and die. So the stakes are a little bit reversed. Now it's this masculine figure shouting out to remember me here. But all this stuff, it all feels like it's living in the same universe for me. Am I a nut?
0: No, I think that, you know, I think that it's, you know, for, for anybody who hasn't, you know, studied this stuff or the Western tradition or, or something like that. I mean, there are themes that get repeated throughout Western artistic productions, literary productions, song. And, and so I don't think that it's that big of a stretch to, oh, to no. see this connection between love and death. Um, certainly in Shakespeare, you know, you have that a lot most famously Romeo and Juliet. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you have those kinds of themes sort of in the Western consciousness, you know, going pretty far back. And, and also I think that, you know, um, again, Stephen, you likely know more about this than I do, but <laughs> there, there is something that is uh, at least within, again, within Western sort of psychology um, about uh, certain musical sounds and figures sounding sad to mm-hmm. us, right? Yes. Um, that's not universal to humanity. It's, I think, been been shown. Eth- ethnomusicologists have sure. shown that different figures sound different to different groups of people. Correct, um, yep. But in the Western tradition, right, These the kind of minor, I mean, and this sort of juxtaposition of these two chords that are not in the same key at all and sort of mashing them t- together somehow mm-hmm. um, makes it even more sad sounding than just yeah. a normal. Oh, minor, absolutely. I mean, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the fact that we, we did not discuss this before, <laughs> before this podcast, I, the fact that I could just say that and you both are like, yep. And I'm sure everyone listening is yeah. like, Oh yeah. The end of this song sounds heavy because yeah. of that chromatic uh, dissonance that you're yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. talking about. I, yeah, so yeah, yeah. all that to say is that I do think that there is something that transcends historical, influence a little bit here right They're mm-hmm. there you know that it's okay i think it makes sense to talk about the relationship between these what are may not have some kind of direct historical connection in terms of influence but are just sort of generally in the the water of western culture yeah
1: we're just talking about archetypes here and, yeah. and yeah. archetypes mm-hmm. even overlap beyond like the western canon if you sure. will i mean in 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 certain parts of india the funeral pyres and uh for the husband even into modern times women mm-hmm. have thrown themselves on the funeral but you know suicide because of the death of their mm. their husband i mean like mm. this is a thing <laughs> P-
3: yeah. burning
1: people and and wanting to burn yourself because of the loss of someone else this is a thing in humanity so yeah. i i i love it and even though there isn't a direct fire reference here the musical archetype that we're talking about conjuring those things up you bringing up these two songs that have the fire reference like wow there's there's a lot to unpack there
2: that's fantastic so i've I've got one more for you before <laughs> <laughs> we we, uh, we go to the next train station um you so this we have I've mentioned some fire imagery again not in the song right here what we have is is a liquid image right it's wine yep. poured into a wine glass um flammable liquid but uh, <laughs> yeah well that's maybe
1: a stretch <laughs> yeah
2: yeah i don't i have not imagined it so far as that girl um, <laughs> but uh what we do have is this line we've, we've already talked about the line but uh, if you look out and see a trace of dark red that used to be my face this dark red image is is directly contrasted um with the title of the song which is nice and blue we have two color images mm-hmm. to work with here so we have nice and blue, which is how he refers to her. He refers to himself as a dark red. So, so that's interesting and evocative in lyrics. If, if just two colors set side by side, it may be worth mentioning. So I, I don't want to leave that moment. So I want to talk about Homer and maybe you guys have a sense of where this is going, but okay. there, there was this argument made, uh, or this interesting discovery made in the 19th century about Homer's use of color in the Iliad and the Odyssey, that blue doesn't show up like he never hmm. talks about blue. Even things that we think are blue, like he just doesn't call them that. Is this so- like,
1: a, like, for example, in medieval tradition and and romance tradition, if you have gray eyes, that's what they call blue eyes. They they called them gray.
2: Or is it deeper than that? like I don't know and maybe it may be be something very like that that just the language allows for certain kinds of vocabulary to describe what it is that you're seeing Mm -hmm. uh and I'm sure there's color theorists throughout the ages who have different things to say about this but there was this this sort of novel theory put forward actually by the British Prime Minister of all people William Gladstone wrote this book about Homer in 1858 and he made the case that Homer and the ancient Greeks maybe people in the ancient world in general I'm not sure literally couldn't see Blue. They didn't have, like so there's something either culturally or biologically or somewhere between that prevented them from seeing this color hmm. so that, that the and he's taking the evidence just from the Homeric text itself that the way that colors are talked about are in these sort of broad binary category, categories of light and dark. That like there's just different kinds of dark and different kinds of light. And that's how every color is described. Uh. And so the the famous example he uses is Homer describing turbulent waters, which he does a bunch of times in these books because, you know, there's a bunch of seafaring that goes on Mm -hmm. as as a wine, dark sea. Mm -hmm. That's a weird way to describe the ocean. Like you don't look at the ocean and imagine the color of wine when you see it. But that's how Homer describes it. And so the this phrase, and I'm going to do worse with Greek than I did with German. Oinos uh, <laughs> pontos is, is a kind of a funny little play on words. It doesn't actually mean wine dark sea. It literally means wine faced sea. Hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, so here we have this, a, a trace of dark red that used to be my face. Yep. In a song called Nice Breaking and Blue. <laughs> wow and wow. and so you go back to the line in the first verse where, where aaron shouts out you're nice and blue yeah you're nice and blue it's like it's like he's yelling something he's not actually confident is true like he doesn't know this he can't see the blueness of her and of course he's going to say later in the album that he doesn't remember the color of her eyes and like, the, mm, like eyes yeah. is the only thing about a person that that you imagine being blue. and people can dye their hair blue right but like sure like you know generally speaking like a person can have blue eyes He doesn't remember the color of her eyes so here it's like she's like had to remind him of that that her eyes are blue and he's just shouting it out even though he can't see it and we go back to the end like you know i can't yet see like you're nice and blue yeah you're nice and blue whatever like (laughs) and and then here he is and and he is this like colorblind binary focus light and dark sort of persona that is represented by this wine-faced image and that's all i have to say about that
0: wow so oh, wow, yeah, that is <laughs> that is mind blowing. And it also reminded me that we didn't really talk about the title. I was gonna the say we once again,
1: not talked about the title at the top of the yeah. I mean, we kind of we kind of just glossed
0: and, and I'll I'll take the blame for glossing over that moment <laughs> in the first verse because I kind of just you know went more oh. speed into that. But but yeah, I mean what what does that mean to say that nice and uh, blue she is nice and blue?
1: Yeah, what does blue mean in a literary context, in the context of... of, Because blue comes up a few times in this album.
2: Like, there's blue on the cover. It looks like a really, like, drab, kind of yeah. a brownish cover, but right. there's a few places, including around this woman's sort of face, that you see the color blue show up on the album yeah. cover. Yeah, so
1: right. what are things that are blue? Sky, water, um, mm-hmm. ice? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he does talk about,
0: you know, he uses the metaphor from Dunn about melting... Uh, yep
1: ice or snowflakes or or something like that
3: yeah
1: yeah Yeah. Um, (laughs) it's super interesting well and and i i I am cautious to bring in any you know symbolism because symbolism changes between based on the literary tradition that you're talking about so like there's gothic literature then colors mean things like that renaissance literature colors mean different things in that so but i don't know it I always took it as almost innocence, or mm-hmm. um, or sadness, in a, innocence and sadness, per, perhaps you know, un, sure. untouched by experience, um, but then also profoundly sad could yeah. could be in there.
2: I think you know this is a recent example uh, of a of a movie. I will unashamedly say that I I love, uh, which is uh, Disney's remake of Cinderella, the live action one that came out a few years ago. I think mm-hmm. maybe they're remaking it again now. Um, oh, wow. I'm not sure, but, but it was like the first of these live action remakes that there wasn't a precedent, so it just kind of stood alone as this interesting experiment.
3: Yeah. And,
2: and the, this blue dress that Cinderella wears is a very like evocative, powerful visual uh, that I think gets to something. At least it, it seems like a sort of a, a thing in Western culture that we associate in a sense with loyalty and yeah. purity and all that. So like nice and blue to me has those kinds of associations, uh, especially with a feminine character yeah yeah
0: yeah I mean, and I also i i don't know why but but for some reason this this song title has always brought to mind uh Picasso's blue period for me oh yep um you know and and there's there's something about i think that there's something related to uh you know the site that is being talked about in the next verse, and you know, seeing her as blue, or sort of seeing, like, being like having this form of like almost color blindness. Yeah, where I
1: like that. Yeah, all you
0: can see is blue right now, and and the 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 red, the the rest of the vivid colors of the world have not yet filled in, or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely, and uh, and the combination of nice. Um, nice doesn't just mean kind it can also mean kind of like neat And like mm-hmm. you're nice and mm-hmm. blue you are you are simply this blue thing in my mind which i think adds right. more to that picasso blue period
0: like piece. simple Sim- simply simple. blue. Yeah,
1: yeah simply blue exactly not necessarily that she is simple but you in my mind the impression i have of you in my mind now yeah is is this simple blue thing
2: well I mean, how's that it's just like a simple a major chord is <laughs> mm-hmm. like this like uncomplicated you know like step into into the world of like a satisfied aesthetic life i feel like all this all this goes together like if the relationship with her had gone differently it could have continued in a sort of a simple happiness but the um the complicating pull towards this ethical life away from her into god becoming the wine glass is has sort of darkened and muddied the waters and it's not so yeah. simple anymore
1: thanks everyone for listening to that episode discussing nice and blue it was a really fun one for us and uh it's really interesting to see how the narrative arc we've been outlining is starting to take shape but also become a little more complex than we realized anyway a couple things before you go Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts, as these ratings and reviews really help us to grow our listenership. We appreciate those that we've received so far.
2: Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening so a new episode will download each week.
0: You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Us Without Them Pod. And don't forget to join the Facebook group, Us Without Them Podcast where we're going to be having additional conversations with listeners uh, and getting people's feedback and ideas and comments and, and so forth. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Us Without Them. And please do share us on your favorite platforms.
1: If you'd like to share some more long-form thoughts, you can reach us at uswithoutthempod at gmail.com with any critiques, suggestions, points that we missed, or heap praise on
2: us. can also give us a phone call at 405 foxes 05 and leave a voicemail
1: we'll get these recordings and we may use them in a future episode again that's 405-369-3705
0: don't forget to also visit our website uswithoutthempod.com where you can find episode descriptions blog posts that expand on some of the philosophical ideas that we discuss Uh, on the show as well as show notes such as links to to book references and music references and and things of that sort. Uh, You can also find some delightful stickers for sale on the website and we encourage you all to go and buy one. Bye everybody, we'll see you next time when we talk about Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt.